Hello, church. It's Pastor Ryan. Um, we are in my backyard today because it is a beautiful day out. And uh, yeah, I wanted to preach my sermon outside. So if you hear cars go by or dogs bark or planes fly overhead, um, please excuse that. Uh, just welcome to the ambiance that is uh, today's sermon. Uh, to begin with, I want to start off by... Um, doing a quick recap, uh, then we'll pray and we'll jump right in. Uh, so for those of you who don't know um, or might not have been following around, we are in a series on Exodus. Uh, we've been tracking through the book of Exodus from starting from verse 1, uh, from chapter 1, verse 1, and moving our way through. So we've gone um, along the stories of the Hebrews, the Israelite people, um, as they were first uh, ca uh, captured and they were imprisoned in Egypt. They were crying out to God. Uh, and then Moses, it's an AC unit. Uh, and then Moses uh, was born and he grew up and became a, a leader and, 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 and went, to, went to the Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Uh, and then obviously he led them out of the, the wilderness and uh, led them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the Exodus story has begun. They've, they have been exiled from Egypt. Uh, just last week, we, we went over the Ten Commandments and we talked about how those um, commandments, those, those rules that we often think of them as, uh, are actually ways that God loves us and draws us closer to Him because He um, invites us into His story and He can't have any kind of sin or anything in between us. So He gives us rules so that we can be closer to Him. All right, like I said, uh, quick recap. Uh, but let me go ahead and pray and we'll get going um, this afternoon. Uh, God, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for air conditioning and dogs and birds and planes and all the things that you give us, Lord. God, I pray that as, as I preach uh, this afternoon, this evening, uh, I pray that you uh, use these words to glorify you and that, um, that I share your message. Your, um, I tell people about your kingdom and that they are not mine and that they are yours pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been stuck? Now, I'm, I mean, this can be kind of a more than one way. You can have, you can be a writer with writer's block, or you can, uh, maybe you're a, a teenager or a young adult and you have a major life decision to be, to, to make, or uh, maybe uh, you need to clean out the garage, a project you've been doing, you've been putting off for a few years. <laughs> Um, there's more than one way to be stuck. Um, one, one of the ways that I think of when I say, Hey man, I, I feel like I've really been stuck is, is mostly like a physical thing. And that has to do with our car. Uh, so this last, uh, this last week, this last Thursday, I had to go drop off our car at the mechanics to get an issue fixed that the dealership should have fixed, but that's another story for another day. Um, but I started thinking about all the ways that when a car breaks down, it just makes you literally stuck somewhere. I, I, I think of the time when I was driving up, up the 60 and my, my, my tire blew up and I had to pull off to the side. I had a flat tire. And luckily there was, a, there was an ADOT worker who came up right behind me and hey, said, hey, I, I drive the freeways and I help stranded motorists. Can I change your tire for you? And I said, sure. Or the time I went down to Tucson uh, with to go to a rugby match with my kids and Joel Oakley 
uh, and my and the alternator on our van went out and we got stuck in Tucson. I mean, there's a reason why I don't like Tucson. Or the time when uh, Megan was driving, we were driving kids to camp and Megan got got pushed off the road by a motorhome, and uh, we were stuck in so many different ways. And there's just all these ways that, I mean, obviously nobody ever wants to have a car broken or they don't, they never want to be stuck somewhere where they, they can't get a hold of somebody. Um, but one of, one of the stories that I think of is when I was in the army, I was in Kuwait and we were traveling. Um, I was going with about two or three other Humvees. We were, we were traveling as a group from one camp uh, to the next. And one of our Humvees broke down on the side of the road. Now, this is the thing that when you're training in the army, that they tell you you don't want to be in. This is the situation you don't want to be in. You're unprotected in so many different ways. There's nobody, there's nothing that you can hide behind. There's just desert all around you. And like I said, it was desert, so it was a really windy day. Dust is flying everywhere. It's really hot. It's sweaty. We're miserable. We're stuck in the middle. Of, and we had to like set up a perimeter around our trucks. And I remember thinking to myself, man, like if somebody starts like shooting at us, this is not a good situation. We have nowhere to hide. We have nowhere to go. Obviously, I turned out okay. Um, eventually, my platoon sergeant got on our our little Nokia candy bar uh, cell phone, the one that can you know make phone calls and play Snake, and called up the motor pool guys and said, "Hey, we're broken down. Here are our coordinates, and come out and get us." So they sent out a tow truck, they sent out a bunch of mechanics, and obviously we were okay. But I was thinking about those situations of when I'm stuck, and sometimes the only thing you can do is wait for somebody to come get you, to wait for help to arrive, to wait for, for the rescue, I, I guess you could say. And so we're gonna continue talking about the law today. Um, I mean, I would. I wish the Ten Commandments was the end of the law in the Bible, but there's way more laws that come up. And we're going to talk about the law. And last week we talked about how the, the Ten Commandments is a way that God loves us because it draws us closer to Him. Today I want to talk about how the law and the and the way and the laws that God had to the people of, of the Exodus, the Hebrew people, was a way that God was meeting them where they were he wasn't waiting for the israelites the hebrews to get good enough to become the right kind of people before he blessed them he was saying you are my people i'm going to come meet you where you're at uh if you have your bibles we're going to be in exodus and we're going to be starting um we won't be reading the whole passage but the passage i'm covering today is basically uh chapter 21 through chapter 24 and lucky for you, like I said, I'm not going to be reading the whole passage. There's just a lot of stuff in here. And as I was studying this passage, I remember I just remember thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be such a hard passage to preach. Like, how do I preach on what it means for us to have servants and slaves in the 20, in year 2022? Or what does it mean for a father to sell his virgin daughter in the year 2022, where it talks about one of the passages that I thought was particularly interesting was 
what to do if so, if your neighbor gets gorged by your animal of some kind of your bull gorges your neighbor or kills your neighbor's donkey or and talks about festivals and it talks about the ways that that we're supposed to build altars and all that stuff that these things that we just don't talk about today and i was reminded about in uh, in, in timothy um paul talks about he talks about the way that all scripture is god breathed and is good for teaching and and correcting and it is good for that but that doesn't mean that all scripture is equal i, I would much rather teach on a parable of jesus and the teachings of Jesus than I would teach on the laws that seem so old. You see, oftentimes I know I've done this before. I felt I fell victim to this. I'm sure a lot of you have too. But you start off the year, you say, I'm gonna for my New Year's resolution, or maybe for, for Lent, I'm gonna read through the Bible. And so many times the, the joke is that you get to Lamentations and Numbers and that's where you stop. But I'm, I, I, I have an alternate theory. I say it's when you get to Exodus chapter 21, that's where you begin to stop. Because there's just so many things in here that just don't apply to us today. And, and, and the truth is, is that a lot of them are cultural. A lot of them are things that, that God was going to his people at the place where they were, they were they were in the they were in the wilderness. They were camped at the the foot of Mount Sinai. They were ancient Near Eastern people, and it's just so far outside of our relate of our understanding and what we what we think about when we think about God in the Bible. You see, the law can be confusing for the most part, but there's, there's some things that I understand that, I mean, I, I can, I can comprehend, you know, don't steal, don't covet, don't, uh, don't murder. I can, those things don't make sense to me, but you know, how to treat your slaves and what to do if, if you accidentally burn your, your, your neighbor's field. And what about the gorging with animals? That stuff is outside of my comprehension. It's hard for me to wrap my brain about. But when we begin to understand that, that God's word isn't just something that is written down and is meant to apply to everybody at all times, it's, it's, a, it's the, the humanity interacting with God at that time. And as we've been going through Exodus, it's something that I've said more than more one time in, in the Old Testament, God is the main character. And when we understand that, and we look for the character of God in these passages, we can begin to understand. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to chapter 21 in Exodus. It says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. You know, there's a saying out there that's hurt people hurt people. These are, the, these are the Hebrews, the Israelites, the, the people of God that have just been rescued from slavery. Why would you buy another human being as a slave if you've already been a slave? And that goes back to this idea of culture that they only know a world where people are slaves. But God says, no, after six years, you have to let them go free. Verse three, if he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes 
she is to go with him. The Egyptians would split up families all the time. They would send the husband one place, the wife the other, the children somewhere else. They didn't care. They didn't think of them as family. They didn't think of them as people. God's law is different. It says, no, you keep that family together. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her, for her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects for her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment or money. In ancient times, widows and orphans, as we hear about all the time in the Bible, widows and orphans were the most helpless people. They couldn't make money on their own. They were dependent upon others. God's saying, hey, if you take a woman as your wife, you can't just let her go. You can't sell her off to foreigners who won't treat her the same way. You have to treat her equally. If you marry her or, you're, or you invite her into your family, she has to become an equal. And if you get married again, so that once again, this is the time where, where men had many wives. If you get married again, she doesn't become the secondary wife. This would have been countercultural for the times. This would have been going against so many ways that the rest of the world lived. If you go to the net, uh, verse 24, it says, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. Eye for an eye. This is that passage that, uh, of the Bible that we often get confused. We often think that it justifies us r retaliating, going against somebody. But when in, in reality, what it's doing is it's, it's stopping us from going too far. You see, it's very rare that when somebody offends us, we go an eye for an eye. We do, we do something equal to, the, to, to react to them. It, there's always this retaliatory nature that goes up and up and up. The Hatfields and McCoys, something that started as a simple dispute over a pig, went into a generations-long family feud. You see, in ancient times, it wouldn't have just been like, "Hey, you killed my brother. I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill your brother." No, it's, like, it's, "Hey, you killed my brother. I'm going to kill your whole family." Hey, you stole my horse. I'm going to burn down your fields. And on and on and on it goes. The circle of violence. And Jesus even comes later on and he kind of subverts this. And he says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. I tell you to turn the other cheek. What Jesus is doing is, is he's making 
them look the other person in the eye and re and have that person recognize that, hey, this is this other person is a created in the image of God. Am I going to treat them that, that way? And, and that's what it kind of comes down to. All these rules, they come down to God is not going to let us treat his image the way that we want to. Chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Once again, this is one of those things that's hard for us to understand. We don't live in a culture that has bride prices and, 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 and we don't sell our children or, or betroth our children to be married when they are young. But at this time, like I said, women and children were the vulnerable. And if you're a woman and you were, you were, um, if your if your family's going to get a bride price for you and that bride price wasn't just something like, Oh, I'm selling my daughter. It was this idea that like, no, my daughter means something to me. So she needs to mean something to you too. This is the same reason why when I used to take students to camp, I would make them pay $50 deposit every year. You have to have some kind of buy-in. I'm not just going to give it to you for free. They're saying, no, my, my daughter means something. So you need to do something to compensate for that. It needs to mean something to you. And so if you're a man and you, and you seduce this woman and you, and you, and you get, and you, you make her no longer a virgin, no longer valuable, you're still going to pay that bride price. That woman is not a disposable item that you get to use and then throw out. No, there is a cost to your actions. This is God subverting the culture, coming underneath and saying, my world is differently. If you're going to be my people, you're not going to treat other people this way. If you're going to be my people, you aren't going to treat the image of God, other humans, this way. You see in other cultures, these, these laws, were these, these protections were not in place. People abused their slaves and they... They, they were regularly beaten and raped and nothing was done. I mean, God says, if you were a servant and, you, and on the seventh year, you have to go free. There, this wasn't something that, that other cultures did. And th for them, if you were a slave or you were a servant, that was a lifetime sentence. And God says, no, that's not how you're going to treat my people. That's not what it's going to be like in my kingdom. You see, I know it can be hard for us to understand this, but, it, but, but when you begin to understand the culture, you begin to understand the time that, 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 that's happening here in the Bible, it can begin to make more and more sense. You see, God meets us where we are. And a lot of those things are cultural and, and, and are dependent on the time that we live in. And if you think that we are a lot more better as a people today, that's not necessarily true. We live in a time because of things like human trafficking, where it is estimated there are more people in slavery today than there has ever been in the history of humanity. If you think to yourself, well, we don't like sell our children off and stuff like that. Maybe we don't here in America, 
but other cultures do that and it's still an effective way that they live their lives. But also, I would say we're even crazier here in America and that we send 25 eligible single men or women onto a television show to compete for the attention of one man or one woman called The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. You see, we think that maybe we have come far, but we haven't. An eye for an eye, I mean, that's something that I, I know, like I said, we dropped our van off earlier this week and that we got a call last night saying, hey, um, we're not gonna pay for you to, to fix all this stuff. And I was already, I was livid, I was upset because this is the way that they sold it to us. They said they would fix it. And I was already thinking to myself, okay, what am I gonna do to get back to these guys? I'm gonna write a bad Yelp review. I'm gonna go, I, I even thought to myself, I'm gonna record a YouTube video and I'm gonna put it on, on, the, on the internet and I'm gonna pay for it to run as ads. I'm gonna run Facebook ads, telling people not to buy stuff there. <laughs> and I already, think, I already thought to myself, how can I get back at these people even more than what they've done to me? And we think to ourselves like, oh, we have moved beyond, we've, 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 we've matured, we've evolved, but we haven't. And that's the thing, is we are always gonna be different. We are always gonna be outside of the way that God wants us to, to live, but God will come and meet us where we are at. That is the good news of the gospel. Extra, extra, read all about it. God will meet us where we are. And he didn't, he doesn't just meet us where we are in, in, in this kind of abstract way, but he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and take on flesh and blood. We're gonna we're gonna start a new a new series next week called Why Jesus. And we're gonna talk about why did God have to send his son? What, why was it so important? And that's the thing. It was a way that God met us where we are. Because all the things we're going through in our lives, all the hardships we face, we can look to Jesus and we know that God has faced those same exact hardships. The truth is, maybe we're, we don't have to worry about you know, how to treat slaves or what happens if our animal gorges our neighbors. Sorry, the gorging thing kind of stuck out. Maybe that isn't a worry in our life today, but the truth is, is that if we, if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, if we go to, if we, if we look towards him and we keep our, our, ourselves in God's word on a daily basis and we pray to him and we, we ask for guidance, he will meet us where we are. He will rescue us from those times that we think we have no way out, those times that we think we're stuck. God will come and he, he might not give you the, the whole plan, but he will light your path at one step at a time. In so many ways, it's so easy. We just gotta look to Jesus. But in so many ways, that is so hard. And so this week, I wanna invite you. How can you look towards Jesus? How can God come and meet you where you're at? How can you be the people of God in the world, meeting people where they are at? They, nobody's perfect. Nobody, nobody has their stuff all together. And how can you move beyond those things that maybe you disagree with or you don't like or the, the, the ways that people live their lives or something like that and meet people where they are? Let's pray. 
God, thank you again for your word. Thank you again for your laws. Thank you for this opportunity that I have to preach these words, Lord. And thank you that you are a God that meets us where we are at and you sent your son, Jesus. And we have this opportunity to, to love him and accept him and to live our lives like him, Lord. I pray that as we as the table move forward, we look for those opportunities to be Jesus in the world. Pray all the same in Jesus. Amen. Have a great week.